This is Vitriol Plays, one of the producers of Once Upon a Wasteland and the voice of Odessa Valdez in the show. I'd like to take a moment before we start the episode to let you know about our Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash onceuponawasteland. It's a great way to support the show and to get some perks, including behind-the-scenes content, access to our private Discord server, and exclusive merchandise. Now, let's find out what Beth and Odessa are up to in this episode. Thank you for listening. This is Lucy Middleton, the voice of Amanda in Once Upon a Wasteland. Before we start the episode, I'd like to take a moment to let you know about our Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com forward slash Once Upon a Wasteland. It's a great way to support the show and get some perks too, including behind the scenes content, access to our private Discord server, and some cool merch. Now, Let's see what kind of trouble I get into in this episode. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the second Once Upon a Wasteland minisode, page to podcast, the screenwriting process. One note before we get started, I will take great pains to avoid spoilers, but I can't make any guarantees that something won't slip out. I'll do my best, but I can't make any promises. I'm Brad Williams the creator of Once Upon a Wasteland. You may also know me as the voice of Modus and a few other characters on the Modus Files. These minisodes are intended to provide a peek behind the curtain and provide some insight into the show, the story, the characters, and in some cases, the people behind them. For the theme of this minisode, I put up a poll on Twitter. You can follow the show's Twitter, where I'll put up polls like this, at onceupon76pod. And the winner was the screenwriting process. But before we get to that... I'd like to spotlight some reviews that the show's received. There are a few different platforms that allow reviews. Apple Podcasts does, and Spotify is rolling them out as well. And any new five-star reviews that we receive will be read on the air. Today's reviews come from another platform that allows reviews, Audible. They're not new, but I just found them as I was searching around to make sure that the show is available on as many podcast platforms as possible. Our first review was left by a listener named Lenny on December 20th, 2021. The title is First Review Here. I've listened to all the available episodes so far. Four episodes. I love this series. I'm a huge Fallout fan. And this story is brilliant with a background of the wasteland, but not focusing on just the Fallout world. It's an amazing character story, and it blows my mind how well the audio quality is. I don't often listen to story podcasts, but this has opened my mind to this episodic storytelling. Thank you to the creators of this. I'll be tuning in every single episode. Well, thank you very much, Lenny, and I really appreciate, like I said last week, that folks are recognizing that while this is very much a Fallout story, you don't need to be a big Fallout fan to understand what's going on, to appreciate the characters, and to appreciate the story, and even to appreciate the Fallout setting. So thank you very much for calling that out, Lenny. And I hope you have continued to listen, and I hope that you're continuing to enjoy it. Our next review was left on audible.co.uk by a listener called Meg on 29th October 2021. The title is Tantalizingly Tasteful. It was a nice short story for a beginning and well played out. Truly excited for another. Well, thank you very much for that, Meg. 
Now, based upon the date of this review, which, as I said, was the 29th of October 2021, this review would have been based on the prologue. So it's awesome to get feedback on that first episode. It was a setup. We got some information in there about the characters, setting up the story, and, and kind of demonstrating what kind of story we were going to be telling moving forward. So, Meg, I hope that you've continued to listen, and I hope that you have continued to enjoy the show as we played things out. So thank you very much. As I said, if you leave a five-star review on any of the platforms that I have access to, whenever we have a new mini-sode, I will read it out, and we will give you a shout-out. So keep leaving those five-star ratings and five-star reviews. So let's talk about the screenwriting process. Now, as the title implies, I'm going to focus more on the process of screenwriting rather than storytelling itself or what goes into making a good story or a compelling story or how to build characters, that kind of thing. I'll touch on those things, but really I want to concentrate on the nuts and bolts of what we're talking about. There's going to inevitably be some storytelling stuff built in there, but it's mostly going to be about that process. One thing I also want to call out is, yes, I'm calling this screenwriting, even though I'm talking about an audio drama. The reason for that is my background is in screenwriting, whether it's screenplays for movies or teleplays for television, and it's just an easy way to refer to this process. I don't know what the corresponding term would be for an audio drama. If there is one, there may be. Uh, shoot me a DM on Twitter if it is, and I'll use that going forward. But that's why I'm using that term, even though the only screen that's associated with it is the screen on the player that you're listening to, and there's no video. Anyway, just roll with me on this one. Thank you. One other thing that I want to call out is there are a lot of different ways to do this. A lot of different philosophies, a lot of different strategies, a lot of different practical applications of those philosophies. And I don't want to imply that the way that I do it should be taken as chapter and verse. There are a lot of different ways to do this. And the important thing is to find the way that works for you. So this is one way to do it. Maybe you can take some pointers. Maybe you won't. But it's the way I do it. It's the way that works for me. And maybe it'll help you along. And maybe it'll also give you a little bit of insight into how this particular show is made. So when you're developing something like this, which is an episodic story that's going to play out over the course of a season, I think, at least the way that I do it, there are seven basic steps that you're going to use as you develop, number one, the overall story for the season, and number two, episodes during that season to make the plot actually move forward. I'll start by listing each of the steps, and then we'll go into each of them one by one and do a little bit of a deeper dive on each of them so that you can understand what each of them encompasses, some strategies for getting through them, and all that kind of thing. Step one is to create a logline. And don't worry if you don't know what a logline is, I'll define it, and I'll also give you some strategies for coming up with one that will be compelling and will also help you as you go through the rest of the steps. Step two is to write a treatment. Step three, develop your characters. Step four, write an outline of how you want the whole season to play out. Now, those steps are at the show level. The next three steps, steps five through seven, are at the episode level, and they're very simple. Step five is to write a draft. Step six, let it sit. And step seven is to rewrite. All right, let's get into the nuts and bolts of what each of these steps does. Number one, create a log line. Now, as I said, I'll define it. So a log line, very simply, is a line, maybe two, but you really should try to keep it to one line, that describes what your story is about. So in the case of our show, it would be something to the effect of a spy and a scribe try to save the nascent civilization in Appalachia as they move toward their own happily ever after. So that log line gives you both the plot, trying to save the civilization that's growing in Appalachia, and it also conveys tone. 
you talk about the happily ever after that the two characters are pursuing. So in a very short space, you have given the audience or somebody who you want to buy your screenplay or your teleplay all the information that they need to understand what your story is about. It's not necessarily as important for something like our show, which is not something that's going to be sold to a studio or, or given to an agent, but I still think it also helps kind of crystallize your vision so that you, as you go through the process of creating the story, can keep that part of it top of mind, kind of keeping your eyes on the prize a little bit so that you can continue to drive the story forward in a consistent way. And it's the most basic level of the story, and it's vitally important not only to get that right, but also to keep it top of mind as you go through the, the writing and the storytelling process to make sure that you maintain that consistent tone as you move throughout the story. One of the things that audiences really don't like and that will really turn them off is if the tone shifts over the course of a story or over the course of a season. That's not to say that you can't have adventure in one episode and romance in another episode. It's just you have to make sure that you have that same underlying mood and that same underlying theme driving throughout the season. It's, it's kind of a subtle distinction. It's one of those things that I think you kind of know when you hear it. But I think as long as you keep that log line in mind as you write and as you create, it'll go a long way in making sure that you maintain that narrative consistency and that'll come across in the final product. The New York Film Academy has a really good article on loglines, and I will throw it into the description of this mini-sode so that you can check it out yourself. It has some outstanding examples of loglines from famous properties like Jurassic Park and Terminator, and I think seeing those examples will also help you craft a good and a compelling logline that you can use in social media and really help introduce your audience or your potential audience to the story that you want to tell by, by giving them a very clear idea of what they're in for. And I think that kind of clarity really makes people want to listen because they know what they're going to be getting when they pop those headphones on or when they pop on the podcast in the car. You know, it's, it's one of those things, I think, where it's not that we don't want to be surprised, but we also don't want to be disappointed. So if something's not clear, I think people are more likely to go, meh, I don't know if that sounds good or if that sounds interesting or something I want to check out. But if it's clear, even if it's maybe a little bit outside of what they would normally listen to, I think they're more likely to tune in. Don't have numbers to back that up. It's a guess, but it does seem logical. Step two is to write a treatment. Now, you may also be wondering, what's a treatment? So a, a treatment is a document that goes into more detail about what your story is. The three main components that you have in there are your logline, you will have a list of characters, and a brief synopsis of the plot. Now, a treatment should come in, depending on what you're writing, at somewhere between, I want to say, two and ten pages. I think if you're writing a screenplay, like, a, like for a movie, it's going to be closer to that two-page mark. But if you're writing a ten-episode, or a fifteen-episode, or a twenty-episode season, it is necessarily probably going to be closer to that ten-page. I think the sweet spot is probably around five. And again, this goes back to something that you're going to be presenting to an agent or to a studio, and they're not going to want to read this massive tome that you hand them. But again, I think this is one of those fundamental things that even though you're not doing that, adhering to that kind of principle helps you keep the story focused and make sure that you don't sort of meander as you tell the story, which is a big turnoff for people. Now, in that synopsis, you're not necessarily going to go into the detail of what happens in every single episode of the story, but what you want to make sure that you hit are the main story beats that you want to present over the course of this story. I know in developing the treatment for Once Upon a Wasteland, I had some specific things that I wanted to happen throughout the course of the story, and then I sort of picked where I thought those 
story beats should happen episode-wise. And then in between, you have all that detail work, all of the things that make those big story beats make sense, how you get from point A to point B to point C. And that's also the perfect place to weave in some character beats so that people can get more invested in your characters, understand who they are as people, make sure that they come across as three-dimensional characters and not just plot devices. And also you can weave in some subplots there, which I think is also something that can really help. You know, you, you don't want to, especially if you're talking about something that's a that, that's a, a season full of episodes, you don't just want to have that one big plot and nothing else happening because that's just, that's going to be tiring for the audience. And it's also not going to be particularly interesting storytelling. Even if you have a really great A plot, in order to make the story sing, I think you absolutely need to have at least a B plot and probably a C plot weave throughout. And those don't necessarily have to be through lines that go through the whole season. You could have a little three-episode arc that happens independent of the main plot. Or you could have a one-episode arc where something happens, something that's important for a character or important for the story in general, but not necessarily that main plot. So there's a lot of ways that you can go with that. But I think that outlining where you want to put those big story beats, that's the kind of thing that you would want to put in a treatment. I can tell you that Episode 7 was one of the big story beats, for example. I had exactly what I wanted to happen in that episode as a story beat. When I went in, when I started writing the treatment, I didn't know exactly where I wanted that to happen. I knew that it would have to happen relatively late in the season, somewhere in the second half, and also not right before the big climax in the final episode. So through that process of writing the treatment, I figured out where it made sense to put it in the story. In Episode 7 was my conclusion. Unfortunately, as actually writing the season played out, it continued to make sense to be in episode seven. It, it's not a big deal if it hadn't. I would have just pivoted, but I did figure out that that was the best place to put it, and turns out it was. One thing that I should note, you don't want the treatment to be sterile. You want it to be something that will not only convey what happens in the story, but the tone of the story and also why people should care about the characters. Like, not saying, this is why you should care about Elizabeth Kirby, but through the course of what happens in the story, understanding why these are characters that we should care about and why these are characters that we should want to follow. That's not to say that most of that heavy lifting isn't done in the next step, which I'll talk about in a few minutes, but you still want to make sure that you you bring that across. And again, this is something that would be read by an agent or read by a studio, so you want that to come across there so they want to pursue this. But like I said for the log line, it's still the kind of thing that helps you as a writer and helps you as a storyteller to get these ideas down and make sure that you have everything fleshed out in a way that makes sense as you move on to the more detailed parts of the storytelling process. Now, considering how much I talk about the importance of characters, it may sound like I buried the lead a little bit by moving on to the synopsis before I talked about the second thing I mentioned under step two, creating the list of characters. But at this point, all you're really doing is telling us who the players are. And then through the course of the, the synopsis, you're explaining what they do and using that as a vector to explain why they're compelling and why what they're doing is compelling and the reasons behind what they're doing and all that kind of thing. It's a little bit more indirect. But at this point, you really should have an idea of the individual characters that you want to have in your story, even if you don't necessarily have them completely fleshed out. So early in the process of Once Upon a Wasteland, I started off with two characters, the leads, Elizabeth Kirby and Odessa Valdez. I knew what I wanted them to do. As I mentioned when I was talking about the logline, they are uh, working on a mystery that will 
help them save the nascent civilization that exists in Appalachia, and sparks fly, and they are pursuing their happily ever after as this is all going on. So from that point, I had to figure out what other characters are going to be necessary to tell this story. And I didn't just want them to be completely in service of those two leads, although in large part, I think this is a normal part of storytelling. Even in kind of an ensemble piece, that's going to happen to an extent. So those supporting characters really came into existence and began to take shape as I was writing the synopsis. So I had the two main characters. I knew that they were going to be a part of the story, and I knew what they were going to do. But as an example, one of the earliest characters that came about from that part of the process was the character of Amanda. I knew that I wanted to have a character that was a close confidant of Beth, and I wanted that character to be her ex-girlfriend and her current best friend, and someone that she has that extremely strong relationship with, one of the few people out in the wasteland that she's learned that she can trust, that she's not related to. And from there, knowing that I had this character at my disposal, I knew that I could deploy her in specific aspects of the plot, whether it was in support of something that Beth was doing, or once Beth and Odessa came into the same orbit, maybe she could do something with Odessa. And of course, if you've listened to the show, that does happen. If you haven't, spoiler alert, but it's probably not too much of a surprise that that happens. You know, I think if you've listened to the show, if you've listened to that first minisode, you know that character dynamics are a very important thing to me as I tell a story. So seeing how different characters interoperate is one of the most interesting things for me as a listener and also for me as a writer to explore. So you have this character who starts off with no real foreknowledge of Odessa, never having met her before, but she comes into contact with her through her relationship with Beth. And then their friendship and their relationship sort of takes off from there. And you see how these very different people interact. You know, Beth and Amanda interact in a very different way than Beth and Odessa. And Amanda and Odessa interact in a completely different way than Amanda and Beth interact because of their shared history, because of the personalities of each character. So it, it gives you a chance to to see those characters and to sort of visualize how you can, through the plot and through the way that the characters themselves are constructed, where it makes sense to deploy them, to have them interact, and to have them uh, drive the plot in their own unique ways. Another good example, I think, is Beth's parents. So Andrew and Elise came about because I wanted to have Beth as a part of a nuclear family, no pun intended, even though this is Fallout. I wanted her to have a good relationship with both of her parents, and again, drawing from my personal experience, I have always had a strong relationship with my parents. And that was something that I wanted to have reflected accurately. And a, and a big part of that also is, given that Beth is a queer character, having a set of parents that loves her and accepts her and never questions who she is or, or never wants her to be something other than who she is was very important to me. Because I think that's something that, well, frankly, it's something we need to see more of in the real world. And it's also something that we need to see reflected more in popular media. So I think that should give you a pretty solid idea of what I'm talking about when I say list the characters as a part of step two of this process. It's not a, a super deep dive. And also, there's absolutely nothing wrong with, as you're writing the synopsis, going, hmm, you know what? I could use a character here that does this, or, or a character here that serves this relationship function or this friendship function, and go back and add that character in later. It's not like you have to say, okay, well, these are the five characters that I'm going to have in this story. 
can write your synopsis and be like, well, gosh, it sure would be great to have Beth's ex-girlfriend in here so that she could have a confidant, but ah, I didn't list her when I was going through the characters, so can't do that. Each part of this process not only can inform the other parts of the process, but they should inform the other parts of the process. All of these steps and all of these steps within steps should work together so that you can think about the story and you can get these ideas down and make sure that you're creating the, the, the best, the most robust, the most believable story that you can. That's what this process is about. It's not about pigeonholing you into specific decisions and not being able to go back and, and, and fix them or augment them or change them. And I think that leads perfectly into step three, which is developing those characters that you listed in step two. So you've written your synopsis, so you have an outline of where you want the story to go, the, the main story beats that you want to hit. So this is the point where you really think about those characters and how those characters are going to drive that story forward in a way that makes the audience not only care about the story, but care about the characters. And that is, in my opinion, I know I'm biased, in my opinion is the one thing that if you want to make a story great as opposed to good, that's the part that you're going to nail. People may love the plot. People may love the story. People may love the lore. But if they don't love the characters, I really don't feel like you're going to get to that next level. Like, look at Tolkien. Tolkien is a, is a great example of this, I think. He has this incredibly robust world created. So much that he wrote about this thing. I mean, it's ridiculous. I, I Side note, I, I worked at Duke University in the library system for about five years. And I had access to everything that Tolkien wrote about the... Lord of the Rings universe. It is an absolutely staggering amount of stuff. But what made these stories compelling, what made these stories interesting, what made them timeless was the characters that drove them. I mean, yeah, it's super interesting to read about the history of Middle-earth and all the different ages and, and all of that stuff, right? But it's the story of Frodo and Sam and the story of Bilbo and Aragorn and all of the other characters that Tolkien wrote about that really made the story feel important. Because then it's not just stuff. It's also people. And I think that people are what make for a compelling story. No matter how good the stuff is, it's the people that are going to resonate with listeners, in my opinion. And I understand that is my opinion. I'll get off my soapbox there. It's like I said earlier on, that's not chapter and verse. That's just how I feel about it. And I happen to feel fairly strongly about it. But again, other people may feel differently about it. And that's okay too. I'm not an arbiter of, of what people enjoy. I want people to enjoy what they enjoy. But regardless how you want to tell your story and what you want to focus on, this is the step where you figure out how these characters work, right? What drives them and how the plot drives them and how they drive the plot. And this is also a really good opportunity. I think it's the perfect early opportunity to turn them into characters that make sense to the audience. Make sure that you understand their motivations. Why is the bad guy doing what they're doing? Even if the answer is, well, they're just a crazy anarchist and they like being evil and they grew that mustache specifically so that they could twirl it, then you understand that character's motivations, and that's okay. Not every villain needs to have some sort of a tragic backstory that makes you sympathetic to their motives. They just need to have internally consistent logic that makes them do the things that they do. It doesn't necessarily have to make 
sense to you from the perspective of, well, okay, I get that, and I think I would do that too. A really good example of that, I think, and, and a character that the creators walked the line with really well was Killmonger in Black Panther. Because I think as the audience, you could see Killmonger's point. We disagreed with his methods. And I think on some level, we maybe even disagreed with his motives, potentially. But you could still look at him and go, mm, you know what? I get where he's coming from. And I think a big part of that was his logic, his internal logic, was 100% consistent. So that turned him into a strong character. It turned him into a compelling character. And it turned him into a character that you can, while you wouldn't necessarily identify with it, you get where that character's coming from. And that made for, I mean, really, in my opinion, one of the best villains in the MCU. And beyond that, the way that they created that character contrasted perfectly with T'Challa himself. So it's really just a, I mean, those two characters and their dynamics are kind of a master class in how to do that, in my opinion. So thinking about those kinds of things, right, I think that those are super important. And I also think, even though I, I, I don't like the idea necessarily that every villain has to have some kind of a tragic backstory and, well, now the audience sympathizes with them. And you know what? They're not really a bad guy. Society is the bad guy. I, I, I don't personally care for that. I think it can be done well, but I think more often it's not done well. And I especially don't like it if you have an established evil character that is given sort of a redemptive or exculpatory backstory. I'm, I'm really just not a fan of that. But that aside, and going back to Once Upon a Wasteland as an example, this was the part of the process where, after I had drawn the broad strokes of Beth, this was where I figured out the parts of her backstory that would explain why she reacts to certain things the way that she does. What motivates her to fulfill her mission in the way that she does? Why are her interactions and relationships with other characters the way that they are? And done right, that is how you can make the plot and the characters interact in a way that makes sense. It's not just these things happen in the plot completely independently of the characters. That's not to say that the characters have to directly cause them, but the way that the characters and the plot interact will be informed by the, the decisions that you make at this point in the process. And this is also the point in the process where you can start thinking about the journey that each of these characters goes on. How do they change and how do they grow because of what happens to them over the course of the plot and what happens to them because of the people that they interact with and the way that those interactions happen. This is where that kind of thing gets formed in its most basic way. And then you use that as you write the more detailed parts of the story. You keep that in mind and you understand this is where the character is, this is where the character is going to end up at the end of the story, and then you have a general idea of how they're going to get there, and that general idea is fleshed out as you go through the course of the season. Uh, I think this is a topic that I want to, at some point, do a much deeper dive on. Because, you know, I, I know I say it over and over, you're probably sick of me saying it. Characters, character dynamic, character interactions are probably the most important aspect of storytelling to me. And I feel like I have a lot to say about it. And I think that it's not the kind of thing that I can really give appropriate focus to, to the level that I would want to in a format like this where I'm talking about characters as one aspect of the storytelling process. So stay tuned. I think that's something that I will do down the road. 
And besides, if I don't stop here, this episode is going to be like seven hours long. Maybe not seven hours, but longer than you want to listen to it. So let's move on to step four. Step four is writing an outline. Now, if you were writing a screenplay as opposed to a season-long drama, then that would be kind of more or less an expanded version of that brief synopsis that you wrote in step two. And this is the one part of this process that probably has the most variability or, or the the largest number of different ways that you can approach it. People go about this a lot of different ways. Like I personally just sat there with a text edit document and went through each of the steps of the plot and each of the steps of the character's journeys so that I could, you know, kind of get things down in a way that would allow me to put that into sort of episode format. I know that's kind of a rudimentary method to use. I know that there are pieces of software out there that will specifically allow you to organize these story beats. I think that Final Draft, which is the software that I use for screenwriting, does have the ability to have a beat board for your story within that, which it's not functionality that I'm leveraged. I'm not 100% sure it exists. I'm pretty sure it exists. I haven't used it yet just because the way that I do it has worked for me and I haven't really felt a need to change it. But I'd say go out there and investigate the various methods that you can do. There's a whole bunch of different ways that you can do it. I know in the article on Pond5 on this, they talk about people use Trello for it. Um, so, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of different ways that you can do it. But the bottom line is you want to get your plot out there in a way that's going to allow you to write the story and hit those character beats and those story beats in the way that you want to. And it's much more fleshed out than that synopsis. So it has a much higher level of detail. So it's not just the main story beats. It's really everything that is going to happen in your story. It's that sort of intermediary step between that plot synopsis where this happens, this happens, this happens, and then your final scripts, which are, you know, fleshed out with all your dialogue and all your action and all those kinds of things. So it really is everything that happens in the story, just not in that final script format. And I think this is the part of the process where you can really start to think about the rhythm of your story. And whether you're writing a screenplay for a film or you're writing something episodic, that is something that is vitally important. Tension has to uh, ebb and flow throughout the story. You have to make sure that you, you, you build it up and then you release it and then you build it up and you release it and you keep a cadence going in your story so that you can keep the audience interested and you're not operating at too high of a level of intensity all the time, and you're also not operating at too low of a level of intensity all the time. And if you can keep that rhythm pretty consistent, it's not the kind of thing that an audience is going to notice consciously most of the time, but it will subconsciously keep them invested in the story and keep them wanting to listen as they go on. Because whether you're talking about something that is episodic or serialized versus something that is a standalone piece like a movie screenplay, you can't really just build, 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 and then release the tension at the end. It, it doesn't work that way. I mean, I guess you can. I'm sure that there are examples out there of stories that did that and did it exceptionally well. I think short stories are very well suited to that. You know, Edgar Allan Poe, I think, was a master of doing that kind of thing. But for the most part, especially if you're doing something that is told over the course of multiple episodes, you want to build and release and build and release. And, and those builds and releases can have sort of higher waves, and you can have those as a rhythm within the rhythm, which is another kind of neat storytelling technique. So there's a lot of ways that you can go about it. Like 
I keep saying with pretty much everything in this, there's a whole bunch of different ways that you can go about this stuff. But this is when you want to think about those kinds of things. And another thing, since we are talking about this in the context of our show, which is an episode-based format, this is a good opportunity. In fact, I think it's the best opportunity to figure out the format of how you want to tell the story. Things like, how many episodes do you want? How long do you want each of those episodes to be? Because I think if you figure that out, and you can get to the point where you can say, all right, well, I want to have 10 episodes, which is the decision that, that we made for our show. I want these things to happen over the course of these 10 episodes, so I know I can slot in this story beat in episode 2, and I can slot this one in episode 5, and this one in episode 9, etc., etc. And I think it really helps you understand that rhythm a little bit better, because you know the space that you have to work in, and you can get a better feel for how to construct that rhythm. So this is the time when you want to do that, because after this, you're going to sit down and write episodes. And you're not going to want to start writing episodes if you have no idea how many episodes you're going to have. And if you don't have a target for how long you want each episode to be, then you can end up with some wildly inconsistent results. And again, that's not something that is going to keep an audience engaged. Whether your sweet spot is an hour or 45 minutes or half hour or whatever, that consistency is something that is going to appeal to audiences. Nobody's going to want to sit down and listen to a show if episode one is 20 minutes long and then episode two is 45 minutes long or an hour long. That's going to be kind of off-putting for an audience, in my opinion. I mean, if a story's good enough, people are going to listen, but you don't want to go out of your way to annoy an audience. Um, you, you, you want to do things to make listening easy for them and, and listening pleasant for them so that they, they continue to want to listen to your story. So our episodes generally come in somewhere a little bit less than an hour. I mean, it doesn't have to be the exact same number of minutes and seconds every time, but as long as you keep it in a fairly consistent range, you're going to be okay. So figure that out at this point in the process, because once you start writing episodes, it's kind of too late. All right, so you have your log line, you have your treatment written, you have your characters fleshed out and developed, you have your outline, you know how many episodes you're going to have, and you have a pretty solid idea of how long you want each episode to be. So now you got to write the episodes themselves. So step five, and this is going to sound pretty basic, sit down and write a draft. That's what you have to do. So you have your outline, and depending on how you constructed it, you may have an idea of what specifically happens in each episode. I know when I did the outline for Once Upon a Wasteland, that's what I did. And I kind of had a log line for each episode, and then I used that to inform what I wrote for that episode. That's, that's all it was. Some of them were a little bit more fleshed out than others. Like I mentioned, episode seven, the episode that we released most recently, that one was very clear in my mind. So that one I had a pretty solid, consistent view of what I wanted to happen and how I wanted it to happen. Others, uh, episode five is a good example of one that I knew some general things that I wanted to happen, but I didn't have it plotted out to the the extent in the details that I did for something like episode seven or episode nine or episode 10, for example. So how do you write a draft? Well, you're certainly sick of hearing me say this by this point in the show, but there's a lot of different ways you can do it. I mentioned earlier that I use a piece of software called Final Draft, which is specifically screenwriting software, it it just makes the process a lot easier for me because it's purpose-built, so it has all of the features and the functionality that you need to sort of not automatically create a screenplay, but really to make the, the formatting that you need for a screenplay a lot easier. A lot of people out there use Google Docs or Microsoft Word, and that's totally cool. There is nothing wrong with, with using any of those tools. 
there's a lot of different ways you can go about it. I think probably the most important thing is to make it easy to use. That's easy to use for you when you're in the editing process. And also, and this is of paramount importance, making it easy for your voice actors. Uh, one thing that Final Draft does that I think is is really good is it gives you the ability to number things. You can number virtually any kind of element that's in the script. I personally use it to number each line of dialogue. So if someone records something, right, and maybe they mispronounce a word, it's easy for me to go back and say, hey, do you think you could re-record line 417 because you said this word incorrectly? Or in line 356, this is what the character is thinking, so I think your delivery should emphasize this part of the line rather than that part of the line. And also, it can help the editing process because um, there's a lot of different ways that voice actors submit their lines, but sometimes they will actually submit them in separate files based upon the line number. And that folds into the idea of making it easier to edit because you can look and go, oh, okay, I'm on line 416. Here's Odessa's line 416 in this folder. I know exactly what I need to drop in. So there's a lot of, of, of good reasons to number your lines of dialogue. And I think most productions that I've been involved with, and I haven't been involved with a ton of audio dramas, seem to do that. So that's it's it's one of those things that I think is 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 very useful. And whatever piece of software you use, I'm assuming that you're not going to write it out by hand, although, hey, props to you if you are or if you're using a typewriter because that's pretty impressive. But if you're not, whatever you use should have the ability to number lines, even if you're doing that manually, which is something that not having used Google Docs or Microsoft Word to do this, maybe you have to do it manually. But however you do it, it's definitely worth the effort to do it. And this is the part of the process, like I said earlier, where you're really getting that last level of detail in there. It's the dialogue. It is where the action beats hit and what the specific types of action are, all those kinds of things. So this is where I talked about the rhythm of the season. This is where you can establish the rhythm of an episode. And that's every bit as important because, like I said earlier, an audience isn't necessarily going to consciously notice the rhythm over the course of an entire season. But over the course of a single episode, I think that's the kind of thing that they're more likely to, to notice consciously. One thing I'd also like to point out is you can write three drafts or two drafts or whatever. You don't have to finalize a script before you move on to the next draft. You can. There's nothing wrong with doing that. And honestly, that's what I do most of the time. But I also know folks who write four or five drafts and then go on to the next steps in this process, which I'll, I'll outline in a minute. And I think it can a lot of times just be a, a matter of striking while the iron is hot. If you feel creative and, and you got that, that juice flowing, then yeah, man, write everything you can. You know, you don't pigeonhole yourself into something that's going to make your process result in less creativity. If you're kind of feeling the opposite way and you're like, oh man, you know, I'm, I, I really love this episode, but I don't even want to think about what's going to happen in the next episode. That's cool too. Play out the whole process for that one episode that you're confident in and then move on after you're done with it. That's 100% cool too. The, the key here is to do this in a way that's going to leverage your creativity in the best possible way. And that's going to be different for every person. It's probably going to be different for every story because every story has kind of different demands on the creators behind it. So once you have that draft written, it may not be easy to do this, and I say this from personal experience, but this is the point where you need to move on to step six, which is 
put it away. Put it on a shelf somewhere and don't look at it for a little while. What that little while is, is going to depend, I think, on your mood, on what you have going on, on the demands of deadlines or, or anything like that. But you need to put it away for a day, for three days, even if you only have six hours. You need to put it away so that you can get as much of a fresh perspective as you can as you go into those final edits. Now, once you've let it sit for whatever that appropriate amount of time is, then it's time to move on to step seven, which is rewriting. There's no right number for the number of revisions that you're going to do before you get to that, that sort of gold copy at the end. Sometimes a first draft is awesome and it only needs very minor revisions. Don't second guess yourself. If you put it away for an appropriate amount of time and you go back and look at it and you're like, you know, it's like Fonzie looking in the mirror in the, the credits of Happy Days and being like, you know what? This is perfect. That's okay. It, that happens sometimes. You know, it, we don't always have to go through 15 revisions of every script because the first version was completely untenable. Sometimes that does happen, but it doesn't always happen. So go with your gut. Don't second guess yourself if you don't feel like a script needs a bunch of revisions. That said, if a draft does need a lot of work, put that work in. Don't shortchange yourself. Don't shortchange the story. Give it the amount of attention that it needs. And just like you may have a script that doesn't need a lot of work after a first draft, maybe you're going to need one that needs major surgery. That also happens. It sucks when it happens, but it does happen. Sometimes you're going to have to completely throw away that original draft and just start from scratch. It's that bad. Don't be discouraged and don't feel bad if that happens. It's not uncommon. It won't necessarily happen to you, but it might, and it happens to some of the best writers out there. You have to understand that you're not going to necessarily get it right the first time. The important thing isn't doing that. The important thing is getting it right when it goes out to the listening audience. And you need to do whatever you can to make that happen. If that's no revisions, if that's significant revisions, if it's a total rewrite, do that. Make sure that you're delivering to the audience the best product that you possibly can. Because they deserve it. They're showing a lot of faith in you. And they're showing a lot of belief in you by continuing to follow your story. So you owe it to them to give them the absolute best that you can provide. And I'll get off my soapbox there, but I, I think you get my point. Um, the rewrite process can be one of the more daunting and frustrating parts of this whole thing. Because especially if you're finding yourself in a place where you have to do significant rewrites. You're already starting from a position where you know there are problems and resolving those problems is often difficult, kind of, I guess, by the nature of the way that these things work. So, you know, it's, it's a prime opportunity to get discouraged. And there may even come some instances when you're writing that you find that you have to go back to step six and just put it on a shelf for a little while because you either want to throw your laptop through a, a window or you're just at the point where you're frustrated and you can't seem to resolve those issues that need to be resolved. And it's, it's really that, that perspective that you gain by putting it away for a little while that will allow you to, to make some headway there. So don't get discouraged. Again, just like having to throw something away, having to go through a series of frustrating revisions is also something that happens sometimes. Just stick with it. Have, have faith in yourself. Have faith in your ability as a storyteller. Have faith in the characters and the overall plot that you've created. And everything is going to take care of itself. Okay? I believe in you. 
But that's really it. That is the screenwriting process in a nutshell. That's about 40 minutes worth of talking about it. I think that each of those steps would have enough material associated with it to, to do a whole mini-sode on it itself, and maybe I'll do that in the future. But I do hope that this gave you at least an overview of the process in a way that gives you some insight into how I go about it and how some other people go about it. Like I keep saying throughout this mini-sode, do this in a way that works for you. And sometimes that's going to take trial and error. I, the way that I go about this is a result of doing things the first time or the first few times in ways that didn't necessarily work for me as well as the way that I do things now. So again, it, this is all a learning process for everybody, myself included. Have fun with it, keep at it, and just keep making the magic happen because that's what storytellers do. You know, there's so many great storytellers out there that are able to do things that, that I just stand in absolute awe of. And I love to see it because I have some inkling of the amount of work that goes into it. And I, I, these people work hundreds of times harder than I do. And I know that the amount of work that I put in is every bit as much as I possibly can. So I'm just constantly amazed by the people that, that, that work so hard to create some of those, those great audio dramas and movies and television shows and all those other creative works out there. It, it just amazes me having gone through the process. So the fact that if you're listening to this and you either are also going through that process or you want to go through that process, hey, good on you. G get out there and tell your story. And, and I am sure that it is going to be awesome. And I wish you the absolute best of luck, but you're not going to need luck because you're going to work hard and you're going to do this for the audience. And that's all that you really need to, to do something successfully. And that's all from me this week. Thank you for listening to this mini-sode and thank you for listening to the show in general, for supporting us by amplifying our posts on Twitter, for, for telling your friends, for leaving ratings and reviews. Every single bit of it is vastly appreciated. I'm Brad Williams, and this has been Once Upon a Wasteland, Behind the Scenes, page to podcast. <laughs>